A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the reading room, all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary. And the reading room contains a host of extraordinary people, leading lights of the written word. Authors, literary critics, columnists and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. And welcome into the reading room. Yes, the place where we find out about different books, about different authors, about people who crit books, and sometimes even about yourself and how you can become a better version of yourself. And who hasn't over the years actually thought, well, hmm, not a bad idea. I don't like who I am, but I'm too scared to become a better version of myself. Well, somebody who's taken that um, reality of life into... A book form is uh, somebody who's uh, doing some really great stuff, not just in the way of writing about um, things that scare you, because life is dangerous, as we know, but also uh, has taken it from a business point of view to say, okay, how can you get the best out of everything that you do? So chatting to us, hmm, Eric Kruger, new book, Dangerous, and very welcome to the reading room. Now, say, thank, it, you. It's thank a, you so much for having me. Well, a new book. This obviously then uh, surmises that it's not your first book. Yeah, this is my second published book. The very first one was called Acta Non Verba, which means actions, not words. That came out, it feels like a lifetime ago, 2018. Mm. And then sort of in between with the pandemic, I ended up writing quite a few different ebooks. So one was called Lockdown Leadership, which I, I love the title of. Uh, hybrid figure about hybrid working. And then I wrote one called, what's it called? Uh, well, it's fantastic instant, when you've written so many you can't evolution. remember. Instant evolution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, about the idea, but we need to adapt as quickly as possible. But even though I've been writing those books, this one dangerous has been in the background the entire time. Okay. So let's, before we get into talking about dangerous and things that's, that are dangerous or may be perceived to be dangerous, what is your background? Where did you come from? I mean, are you now an author or are you other things as well? Did you, like everybody else during lockdown, decide to completely diversify and do a whole bunch of different stuff? So a very sort of high-level overview is that I actually studied to be a physiotherapist. And in 2007, I graduated as a physio. I realized I didn't want to be a physio, so I tried out lots of different things. And eventually, I started this online community for men called Better Man. Uh, all about how do you go to bed at night a better man than when you woke up in the morning. And we ended up growing that to about 18,000 men. We were the biggest self-development community for men in SA. And as the community grew, the guys said, listen, can we do events? Can you do coaching? And so, you know, as any good entrepreneur, you say yes, and then you go and figure it out. Mm. So I jumped in. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being back on stage. I enjoyed the coaching element, but I wanted to do better. So... I did a master's degree in business and executive coaching to sort of solidify that aspect of my, my business. And then I just got more and more into the organizational side of uh, helping leaders and teams to improve. 
And so I had to leave Better Man behind at some point. And where I am today is I'm the founder of Modern Breed. We're a team building, team development company where we don't play games to help teams collaborate better or perform better. We do very deep and meaningful work to help them create a team operating system so they can perform at their best. And then as part of that, I speak on many stages about topics like resilience, anti-fragility, being dangerous. And uh, I'd say being an author is sort of just, it supplements uh, the kind of work that I do then. Okay, so where where did the whole thing about putting it down on paper? Well, I mean, I know it's also on screens. If you read it on the screen, mm. so you've got it both in printed and in electronic formats. Where did that start? Why was there this thing that you needed to put out? What made you specifically um, well placed to be able to share this knowledge with others? Mm. You know, I still think books are just such a great container. You know, it's it's a neatly packaged way of presenting an idea and you can listen to talks and you can listen to podcasts but ultimately like when you take the idea and you put it into a book format there's just like it's so it's just the perfect container for it you know so I wanted the book to have a space to live or the idea to have a space to live that wasn't just digital so that was one part of it but the other part is that it really is an idea that I felt I needed to get out and it's I don't know if that sounds cliche but I remember the very first time the idea of being dangerous was presented to me because it came out of a coaching session. And when my, I can tell you the story a bit later if you want me to, but when my client said, listen, I want to be dangerous. The moment he said that there was just like something that changed for me. And since that moment, I've been exploring this idea and I've been trying to figure it out for myself. And it's just something that I felt I couldn't not do something with. Like I, mm. I felt compelled to put it into different formats. And so I think that's why the book sort of came into existence. It, it couldn't not. I, I had to get the idea out because otherwise I think it would have just, in a way, constipated my creativity. Okay. Now, what, what kind of a book is dangerous? I mean, it's, it's not a self-help book. It, 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 give me the premise of it. Yeah. I think it might be a self-help book in certain ways. It's definitely a a field guide for being a more formidable you. Like Seth Godin's book, The Dip, was my biggest inspiration in the way I wrote the book mm. because it's one of my favorite books. I gift it all the time to people. It's short, it's concise, it's full of interesting stories, interesting quotes, but you can read it in one sitting. And so when I read, like I literally went and I measured out how big is Seth Godin's book. And then I was like, I said to my publisher, that's the size that I want the book to be. Um, I counted the pages. I counted the words. Like I was like, I want to have an easy to read book that people can pick up, finish in like an, an hour or two, and then go and do something with the book, like go and execute on it. Yeah. And so the main pre premise of the book is just that everything that we love is being threatened in some shape or form, uh, whether that's your business, your relationships, your health, your teams, uh, your family unit, there are threats to everything we love. And saying that isn't pessimistic, it's just the way things are. Mm. And if that's true, then, then you have a choice. And that choice is how are you going to respond to those threats? What will you do about those threats? And the call to action, obviously, from the book is be a threat to your threats. Don't be the victim to it. Don't become uh, stuck in survival mode because you were ineffective against those threats. 
that sounds like a, one of those things that we really could do with after, I mean, being in lockdown. And we, we have a lot of people who are talking about how they've reinvented themselves and um, how the depression hit and how people kind of lost their jobs. They lost most of the things that they were used to having and keep, and, and even like right down into the younger generation, losing mm. the ability to go to schools, everybody, everything, the life as we knew it was under threat. So how does the book actually help people in that way? I mean, what can they get out of it that will say, yeah. okay, fine, this is how you can really take those things when you're, when you're being governed by fear of this threat to your survival? One of the best things I think you'll take from the book is the language of it, is that it gives you a framework for thinking about how you are showing up every single day. And essentially, I think we fall into one of two camps. We are either trying to go from minus one to zero or zero to one. We're trying to go from survival mode to like, I'm okay, or from I'm okay to like, I'm formidable, I'm dangerous, I'm like, I'm at my best. And so what the book helps you to do is to identify, well, in which camp are you? Because being in survival mode can be quite invisible, you know? When a big pandemic rolls in and you are fighting for the survival of your business, then it's quite obvious that you are in survival mode. But very often, things are actually going quite well in your life, but mentally you get stuck in survival mode because of success, because of the complacency. And so I think the first thing is like you have to look in the mirror and you have to admit to yourself that I'm in survival mode and I'm in survival mode because I've been harmless against the threat. And then how do I need to reconfigure how I think, feel and act so I can be less harmless? So I can start escaping survival mode because one of the toughest things about being in survival mode is that what you do in survival mode keeps you in survival mode. So you need to start taking risk. You need to start growing again. And those things feel, they feel uncomfortable for those who are in survival mode. Mm. And so it helps you to identify that, okay, I'm in survival mode. This is how I reconfigure how I think, feel and act to escape it. But then also you might be in a state where you're like, you know, I'm actually quite good. Like I'm feeling positive. I feel like I'm on the front foot. How can I become even more formidable in that domain? And it's the same thing. It's like the, the content is the same in that it's all about this pattern of thinking, feeling and acting. All that changes is the context. And even if you take that same pattern, you apply it into the context. If I'm doing well, I want to be better. It's still, it's still applicable. And so that's what I think the book gives is like, it gives language and it gives a framework. Okay, but now the word dangerous itself, I mean, that, that can have yes. many connotations. Okay. So you're sure. looking, oh, you're not going to do that because that's dangerous. I mean, it's like, don't go and put your hand in the fire, mm. which we're all told. So we, of course, we always have yes. this fear of something which is dangerous. What in this context is dangerous to you? I'm very happy that you asked that because, like you say, we have a very specific relationship with the word. And uh, especially in South Africa, where like you go out your house and you're like, well, it's dangerous because you might be hijacked or any number of things might happen to you. But we also use this word uh, very intuitively in different contexts as well. So, for example, in sports, you know, we look at like a Cheslin Colby, for example, and we see him on the on the, the rugby field and we say he's very dangerous when he has that ball in his hand. Mm. And intuitively, we know that what that means is that like he's not going to pull a knife out of his sock or, or something like he's that. He's a right? past like he, master and he shouldn't have the ball because he's going to score. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he's, he's formidable in that domain. He has skill, experience, a way of seeing gaps, a way of looking at the game that makes him very dangerous to those who are up against him in that situation. 
And so that's kind of the, uh, the approach that I take when I think of the word dangerous is how do we take that? Because we've all experienced that, like where you feel like you are really a force to be reckoned with, where you feel unstoppable, where you feel formidable. And how do we take that feeling and we bottle that? And the way that I bottled that was into the word dangerous. Did you ever watch The Queen's Gambit? Yes. So Fantastic did you movie. Did you like it? A girl it amazing, being dangerous, hey? yeah. She was danger, yeah. danger to all of those men's egos. It, she was. And there's this one scene that like stands out for me where she's sitting down and I can tell this without like giving massive spoilers away for those who haven't watched it. But she's sitting and she's about to play this grandmaster who's been winning games since before she was born. And the scene is, is incredibly set up. Like she's sitting by the chessboard on her own. There's this big audience to the left and to the right of her. And then he's this very elegant elderly man that's walking towards her. And as he's walking towards her, the commentator says, she has to be very careful of him because once he gets into an attacking position, he's very dangerous. And again, like no one's thinking that he's going to reach across the chessboard and hit her or harm her anyway. Mm. They know that it means he has a level of skill, of experience, of looking at the game that makes him very formidable. And the best part of this is that she beats him. So what does that tell us? It tells us that she is more dangerous than what he is. Like it's, it's, yeah. I love it. It's but something take, to really think it, about. Taking it in that kind of context, and especially in a business context, I immediately start thinking billions with um, mm. I don't yeah. the, the name of the guy's hand at the moment. Axel. Um, Damien Axelrod. Hurst. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Axelrod. Axe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's seriously dangerous, but he's also dangerous in a different way in that he's dangerous to people because he can destroy their lives. But that's not the mm. kind of dangerous we're talking about. We're talking about dangerous where you have that feeling, you're encapsulating that feeling, but you're not actually going to go out there and do other people harm. Or are you? No, I think when I, if you read the book, it has harmless, dangerous, reckless in it, right? So like, um, dangerous to me is that you are a danger to very specific threats in a very narrow domain. It's not that you are a danger to other people, like, because other people aren't like a threat to you in that kind of way. So mm. if, if you become dangerous to other people or to yourself, like if you put yourself in harm's way, then I think you are actually reckless. And I remember like, it's, there's a challenge to sharing this idea because people might misinterpret what does dangerous mean. But I remember a friend, like in the early days, I shared this thing on Instagram saying like, live dangerously. And he sent me a, just a like, bit of a, a stab at me. And he's like, uh, I'm driving without my seatbelt today, living dangerously. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, but that's obviously true, that's yeah. not what it means, right? Like that is reckless. Like that is not being dangerous. That is not being a threat to the threat. I don't know if it's being reckless. I mean, if, you know, if, you, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. I mean, that's a, just another one of those memes, you know. You've got to, like, yeah. life, is, life is lived on the edge. And is it that kind of feeling? Do you have to put yourself yeah. into that position where you're just skirting along the side of something which is dangerous, but you have the knowledge and the skill to be able to pull yourself through that without doing yourself or anybody else damage? But that's the thing. I think there's living on the edge and being reckless and there's living on the edge and being dangerous. And when you are living on the edge, like I'll give you a good example. We've been enjoying like going on breakfast runs and like doing like, um, racing it. For, for example, Kyle Lamy racetrack, right? Mm. So like I'm not a, I'm not a professional racer and, but you're going around that track at incredible speeds and it's so easy for you to do something small that will put your life in danger. 
right? And then you look at someone who's a trained professional and you put them in the exact same position and you give them an even faster car and like all of a sudden they are like they're the master of that domain. Like it's the same activity. The one you're actually being a bit reckless and the other is totally in control but still at the edge. Because that's right, what so they do every day as well. That's but what they do. That's what they're good at. Yeah. But you cannot account for any environmental forces that might come. I mean, even the best amongst the, the racing drivers, to keep the analogy going, have their offs. For sure. But they'll still handle that better because they still have the, the training, the skills, the experience that helps them to be uh, more formidable in that domain. Okay, so how does this relate to the business world and to an ordinary person's kind of life? How would you put yeah. this into practice? So I think to start with, we have to become more aware of our threats. When I speak about this, like people go, oh yeah, of course, like we all know that we have these threats and like X, Y, and Z. I'm like, yeah, but do you really? Because what we tend to do is we tend to just say, I have threats. And it's this like big homogenous group of things that conspire against me. Mm. Instead of saying, what are the specific threats to your goals that you need to overcome? And threats and goals go hand in hand. So whether you're an individual, a team or a business, you need to look at what your goals are. And it's a facilitation I do with, with companies quite often. And then ask yourself, what are the threats that surround this goal? And how will I then configure myself to be a threat to that threat? And what you find in doing that is that very often we don't even know what the threats are. And very often we can actually predict the threats instead of having to deal with them as they pop up. Mm. But we tend to kind of leave it, you know, we'll, we'll react to it in the moment instead of thinking about it ahead of time. When you think of, of most goal setting frameworks, for example, like the smart setting goal setting framework, like specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time bound, what most of them lack is what is going to be the obstacle that might get in the way. All of these goal-setting frameworks, in a way, assume that from where you are to where you want to be is going to be a straight line. So what is the goal and what are the steps that you'll take to get there? Mm. But it's like it's like they almost miss out on the part that says, well, okay, these are the steps you're going to take to get there, but what are the things that might trip you up along the way that you'll need to pay attention to? Yeah. yeah. And sure, there's going to be some that we, we can't anticipate, like a pandemic, but there are going to be many that you can anticipate if you just take the time to actually think about it. And so I think that's how it applies. It's like, it's the awareness and then also saying, well, now that you have it, if you aren't being dangerous, what do you need to do in order to get there? So it's taking back control and controlling your environment. Definitely. And, and yourself, you know, we have these three human capacities to think, feel and act. And whenever you are being harmless against the threat, whenever you are failing against the threat, it's most likely that you have a failure in one of those three capacities. Like either at, a, at the level of thinking, you are sort of overestimating or underestimating what the threat requires. Uh, perhaps you aren't even clear about the threat. Perhaps your analysis of it's completely off. Mm. Uh, at the level of emotion, maybe you are overreacting or you are underreacting. Um, you are in a state of survival mode, so you are demotivated, defanged, declawed. You don't have the energy to take on the threat. Or you are just like in such a hyper-reactive state that you can't think clearly about what needs to happen next. You're just in a, in a tailspin. And then at the level of think uh, of doing is, well, you need to execute on it. And the execution part is having the will, applying the will to the thing so you can actually go and do it. But it's also, do you have the adequate amount of skill to take it on? Mm. Um, we know that in years to come, many, many people will end up losing their jobs because AI is going to replace so many of us. And 
for you to be a threat to the threat, you need to learn new skills here. Like otherwise, what's going to happen? You're going to become part of what Yuval Noah Harari calls the useless class. So um, sometimes we just need to, we need to go and learn new skill uh, to overcome the threat. But you can almost always track down your failures to one of the a failure in those three capacities. Okay, well, I just when you're saying that that AI is going to take over, hopefully it doesn't take over in the writing point of view because I mean, <laughs> who was it? It was a, uh, one of the AI bots that tried to get it to write a, a story, a novel about something, and then they put it out there. <laughs> but this thing said it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. I mean, uh, because there isn't that mellifluousness in the way of writing i think it'll be very kind of like most people would see health self-help books as like this is what you need to do this way so mm. getting people to have the attention span number one to actually sit down and read this stuff and i think businessmen are probably a lot better because they're used to reading like balance sheets and very kind of yeah. critical thinking ways of things but for the creatives out there how would how would something like this be useful for a creative? Because, I mean, you are on that boundary of being between the analytical and the creative. Mm. Well, first off, I'm very intrigued to see where AI goes in the writing space. Um, I don't know if you've seen, like, you know, Jarvis and Copy.ai, all these guys have been putting a lot of money behind AI writing. And then there's this new AI called uh, Dali 2. And what they do is they give this AI just a, a random, like you can think of the most random thing, um, what was the one that I saw the other day? It was something like a monkey in space playing basketball, something like, but like mm. you, you, you think of the most random thing you can think of. And then it generates an image for you based off of that. And the images it's generating is just mind blowing. And so you think of like this technology is early, early days. If you think 10 years into the future, when these things are incredibly sophisticated, it's going to be interesting to see where it lands. But anyway, I think where it, where it ends up for creators. Is the same as everyone else. Like as a, as the creative, you still have threats, you know, like mm. as a creative, when I sit down and I stare at a blank screen, that's still a threat to me if I'm not able to start putting words down onto paper. And so like, well, how do I overcome the threat that I sit down and I have nothing to write? Well, okay. Maybe when I end off my previous page and I'm in the flow of things, let me already create the starting point for tomorrow. Okay, cool. Now I'm becoming a threat to the threat. Okay, well, I've realized that when I've not been consuming enough, then I don't have enough material to work with to uh, put it down on the other side. Okay, so that means I need to keep maybe a 30-minute schedule in my day where I'm reading something new and I can convert that into knowledge and, and put it out on the other side. Well, I need ideas and often I have these great ideas, but then I forget them and I, I can't come back to them. Well, maybe I have a notepad somewhere and every time I have an idea, I jot it down every single time without fail because I'm not going to remember it. I know I won't remember it tomorrow. So jot it down. It happened to me last night. I was lying in bed at like 11 o'clock or so and I had this idea for my business and I was like, I'll remember that for sure. And I was like, and no, you, you won't. You definitely won't. So I turned over. I quickly recorded a voice note this morning. I was like, what was that idea again? But so we still have threats as creatives. And we have to be, I think, in some ways, quite systematic in dealing with those threats. Creativity often has this romance to it, you know. But I think when you look at many of the great creatives, they thrive on systems in many ways. Okay, so if, if you've got somebody who's used to just living in a specific way and they're sitting there and going, oh, all the power's been taken away from me, how does that person get to a stage where they can take it back again without changing their entire mindset? Or do you have yeah. to change your mindset? I, th I think you do have to change your entire mindset. And I think the place where I'd start is to say, I have a lot of empathy for you if you are there. 
and that we shouldn't underestimate the effort that it takes to go from minus one to zero, to go from survival mode to things being okay again. It's a lot more effort, I think, in my experience and in what I've seen with other people to go from minus one to zero than to go from zero to one. It's mm. like the starting power required to create the momentum to, to just start moving forward is really intense. So first off, like have some empathy for yourself as well. Um, have an understanding that being in survival mode is a very difficult space to be in, but also know that it's okay to be in survival mode. You just can't stay there. You need to, at some point, start making a shift, start making a change. And the best way I think that happens ultimately is that if you can take full ownership, like if you can take agency of your life, it's kind of like, that's the, the easy way that we think about it. It's like, okay, well, just take ownership of your life and just start doing things. Again, like it, it, it feels almost insurmountable to do that and to start moving forward. So the way that I always advise people to do this is to say, what you need to do is to try and be a little bit more formidable, a bit more dangerous for, let's say, one or two hours in your day. So can you wake up this morning and can you for two hours get yourself into a better state of mind uh, by meditating, journaling, running, listening to music, whatever it is that's just going to put you into a better state, even if it's just for two hours. And if for that two hours you can be a bit more effective, a bit more focused, a bit more bold, then you can start taking some actions that will help you move forward, right? Like it, it won't be a lot, but it'll be something. And because mm. of that, there'll be some momentum. There'll be some results that start coming off the back of that. And even if you go into survival mode for the rest of the day, there'll be something that you've like, cool, I've done something. I've Something meaningfully has, has happened. And then the next day you get to feed off those results a bit, feed off that momentum and you do the same thing. Can I for two hours just get into this right state of mind? And you keep doing that and you keep getting a little bit more results and a little bit move a bit more forward and a bit more momentum. And I think over time you create a, a feed forward loop that really creates the momentum that you need to catalyze yourself out of survival mode. And I think that's, you know, one of the gifts in a way that I got through the pandemic was that I started writing a book about survival mode and I got to experience survival mode. You know, often when you go to a doctor, I feel like they lack empathy because when was the last time you were desperately sick as a doctor in hospital and you've, you know, you know what it feels like to be in that situation. So I was like, well, I'm the doctor who's sick. Like I'm, I'm in survival mode and I'm preaching about survival mode. So let me put these practices to the test. And there were many days where like, I, I just couldn't get out of survival mode, no matter what I tried. Like I, even if I was like meditating, journaling, I would do all of that and my energy would just be non-existent. Mm. And then there were some days where I was like, okay, for just two hours, just like focus, just get things done. And I was able to do that. And I felt like, okay, well, for the rest of the day, just take the day off. Almost like in a way I was giving myself permission to like, okay, go and relax now. And it was through that process, I think, that I started realizing, well, A, we need deep empathy and B, it's a slow process of putting yourself out from the abyss. Yeah, well, somebody, you know, their survival mode becomes their comfort zone. So you're too scared to set up, step out of your comfort zone a lot of the time. Yeah. Lots to think about here. What, what is the, the one takeaway from the book that you would like, you know, people to say, all right, fine, I'm going to read this book because of this one thing? The one thing I would want you to take away is to be dangerous, is to be formidable. And that is because it's everything. Like when you are a threat to your threat, not only does it help you to get closer to the goals that lie on the other side, because 
they do go hand in hand. It's also through this process that you experience personal transformation. You know, mm. we always wonder how do we improve ourselves? And we, we think of all these different kinds of ways of engaging in self-development. But one of the best ways is simply just to be a threat to the threat. Just uh, become the kind of person that overcomes the challenges that are in front of you. And when you do that, you are engaging in the most direct form of self-development. But then on top of that, there's also this idea in the book around others being able to stand in your danger. That when you are dangerous, when you are formidable, when you are a threat to the threat, then that means you get to protect others as well. So yep. like as, yep. as the Put your leader, arms around them, keep them that's safe. it. Yep. Where this is actually resonate for a lot of people is in, in audiences is, you know, they, they trace this back to their families and like, well, if anything had to like threaten my kids, I would become a threat to that threat immediately. And the thing is, if you are effective in that situation, then you protect your children, right? Like you're a, yeah. you're a danger to the danger. But if you are ineffective in that situation, then, and you are harmless, you actually put them in harm's way. Yeah. So there's this real motivation for us to be dangerous for others as well. Not to Nothing others, but for it. others. You should have a yeah. mantra as well, something like, I am a warrior and I will not turn my back on this battlefield. Yeah. one of my favorite yeah. ones. That is my way like of thinking about like it. it. So if you find something that you can actually say, right, this is where my centering is, and I have to keep that in mind and keep going with it. And uh, where where would people find the book? I mean, obviously, if, if you're doing a launch at uh, exclusives, then I would imagine that it's going to be an exclusive books. Yeah, it's an exclusive. It's uh, take a lot, loot. I think pretty much anywhere where you'd find books, you'd find this. But I think loot at the moment is one of the best places to buy it because they have quite a good discount on it. Okay. Well, that means that you won't make as much money. So, no, go and, go and buy but from the okay. shops. But that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm going to have to um, get into dangerous mode. I think a lot of us have just been sitting in survival mode, and we've gotten into that headspace now. And it's it's time for us to, to take the bull by the horns. Uh, we don't have to go and run with the bulls, that's for sure. Mm. No pamploma mm. here. But just to actually, like, all right, there's a nice new ride coming up to carry on with the racing around a track. Just push yourself to, not to your limits, but at least just push yourself, yeah? Yeah, for sure. I like that. Okay, thank you so very much for joining us today and uh, good luck with the launch and good luck with the book as well. And uh, do stay in touch and let us know if you've got anything else coming up too. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Melody. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.